interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello, everyone, and hello, humans. Welcome to Not a Robot's weekly review show. <laughs> Today, we'll be talking about Extreme Carnage Omega, Darkhawk number two, Winter Guard number two, Sword number eight, Nonstop Spider Man number five, Miles Morales number 30, Wolverine number 16, Thor 17, Black Cat number 10, Inferno number one, Darkhold Alpha number one. And Amazing Spider-Man number 74. My name is Kirk, and I am inevitable. And I'm joined by an esteemed and lovely panel of judges today. Well, judge. <laughs> today we've got Brandon. Hello, everybody. And we're here to read, critique, and review Marvel's weekly releases without any interference from the publisher. If you like our show, you can find us on Twitter at NotARobotComics. You can find me on Twitter at KirkHopko. And we answer all show mail sent to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month. Thank you to our listeners, too. You can like, download, and share our episodes, and we can get more listeners and bring you more of the content you love. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast shows at notarobotpodcasts.com. So before we dive into the reviews, was there anything in the news this week? I actually... Don't know that I've seen anything on my phone. Uh, yeah, I um, I don't know that I've seen anything new too. Um, I know that uh, Marvel put out a trailer for the new Venom series that will be uh, coming out in October, um, and that is of course Ram V with Al Ewing and Brian Hitch. Um, should be a pretty cool relaunch and. Uh, it's going to be focusing on the dynamic between the two Venoms, you know, Eddie Brock in space as the new King in Black, and uh, Dylan Brock back on Earth wielding Eddie's old symbiote and just kind of acting as the new lethal protector. Um, but other than that, I don't have much else. Oh, and I guess um, Venom, oh God, I guess it's a very Venom-centric week, uh, but Venom, Let There Be Carnage, the sequel to 2018's Venom, came out on Friday. Um, I have not seen it yet. Um, I'm going to see it uh, with a friend next week. I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> like the first one to begin with, but I think we're just, we just kind of want to see it for the schlock of it. Uh, but apparently there is a cutscene at the end that is uh, very important to some of the future developments of not just Venom, but also some of the uh, MCU stuff. And that's all I'll say without spoiling anything else. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet either, but I have heard the same tell of the the post credit scene, so I'm I'm interested in that. Um, there was yeah. also a trailer released uh, this week for <coughs> for the new Black Panther number one, I believe. Yes, yeah, uh, that looks good. Mm -hmm. um, though I feel like the last Black Panther series only just stopped getting solicited, so it's uh, it, it feels weird to be on a number one again, like. How many? Maybe it has been a few more months than I remember. Do you remember I mean, the when the last, last the last relaunch I remember was 2018? But even still, it seems kind of crazy that they already relaunching after three years. But didn't that 2018 series? It had it's had comics this year, right? Like yeah, it just uh, it was very very heavily delayed. That's why I think it it took so long to kind of finally get to its end. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't really have uh, anything else on the news 
the new station. So we will hop right into our reviews. All right. So we're going to start our sort of speed reviews with Extreme Carnage Omega or Extreme Carnage Part 8 of 8. But issue, it's not really... Oh, there's no issue numbers on this one. I, I'm, I'm not even going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's brought to us by Philip Kennedy Johnson on writing, Manuel Garcia on pencils, Cam Smith on ink, Guru FX on color, and Travis Lanham as lettering. And this really just closes off the Extreme Carnage uh, storyline. Uh, Carnage has infiltrated the Friends of Humanity political lobbyist group to (coughs) stir up anti-alien sentiment and hatred and get them together where the children of carnage or the children of venom the 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 life foundation symbiotes under carnage's control are going to murder a bunch of people flash thompson and silence and toxin and sleeper form uh, anti-venoms or agent anti-venoms sort of anti-carnage force they arrive on the scene right as the slaughter starts and they mitigate most of the damages uh, Tony Stark shows up in an extrembiote armor a symbiote with extremis Iron Man suit of armor mm-hmm. uh, and Carnage takes control of the extrembiote grabs it and runs away and then the whole book ends <coughs> And and the whole series ends. Part 8 of 8 of Extreme Carnage ends with Carnage in the Wind and uh, a couple of the Flash and his new symbiote gang figuring out that they have captured the Life Foundation symbiotes again, except and now Carnage is just out there in the wind with a mysterious symbiote that has extremists that no one knows what it's capable of, and it says see more in Venom number 1. And that's it. That's the That's the book. Wow. Um, Extreme Carnage, we didn't cover it a lot throughout its run. It was not um, what I wanted from the series. Actually, I, I got to be honest. What I wanted from the series was probably not to read it. I'm, I didn't go into... <laughs> yeah. That's why I tapped out a long time ago. I was just like, yeah. The only thing I, I really, really hope to get out of this is to never have to read it again. And I didn't, so I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like too soon after King and Black for me to give a heck about eight other symbiotes. Like, all summer getting Toxin, Phage, Sleeper, Scream, all of... Like, it it didn't mean anything to me. Like, we were dealing with symbiotes as late as, I think, March we were still getting King and Black books. Mm -hmm. And so it's just... I don't know. I'm done with symbiotes. I'm cool on symbiotes for a while. I'm excited for Venom. Uh, It's like it, it's got a good team on it. It's going to be a cool run, probably, and hopefully, it doesn't spook too many tie-ins and require me to give a bunch of crap about other stuff that I don't <laughs> I do, have any. Yeah. And you know what? And I will give some credit to this. Flash does get some cool characterization. I'm glad Flash is back <laughs> as Agent Anti Venom. He's just like he's a character who was always a good. I enjoyed Flash during his run as Venom and Anti-Venom. So, I'm okay with that. Uh, I gave this comic a very generous 6 out of 10. It (laughs) it was readable. I just didn't care. (laughs) Which might be my problem. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on it. 
But moving on to... Uh, sorry. Next up, we've got Darkhawk number two. And this one comes to us uh, from Kyle Higgins on writing, Juanan Ramirez on art, Eric Arcaniega on color, and Travis Lanham on lettering. And I'll pass this one over to Brandon. Sure. So I, I have to confess, I know little to nothing about Darkhawk as a character. Um, he's one of those, I would say, obscure, more obscure Marvel characters that uh, if you're not really into him, you probably are going to just overlook him. Um, <clears throat> not necessarily in a Moon Knight way where there's almost like more of a cult following. I feel like Darkhawk's just kind of always been on the outside, at least from what I understand. Um, so I, I know very little about anything to do with him. So I think this series has probably been better for me just because it's kind of a, a clean start with a, a new um, wielder of the Dark Hawk amulet. Um, <clears throat> and it almost seems to be more of like a, a young adult, um, uh, almost like Sentai type show, um, mm-hmm. or Sentai type of, of book where it's, you know, young kid with powers as a costume and, and uses it. Uh, for good, and so that's really what the issue is about. It focuses on uh, high school kid Connor Young as he's adjusting to his new powers, and um, he has a, his friend Derek who is, you know, kind of trying to talk to him about, um, you know, his powers and where he should use it, and um, has a little bit of a conversation about, um, you know, whether or not they should use it in their kind of crappy neighborhood, and. Um, that's when they have to face off against some some muggers, some hoodlums, and uh, Connor is forced to use his, his Darkhawk powers to take them down, and um, does, but <clears throat> um, sort of shows how, I guess, dangerous and ruthless some of these powers can be. Um, and there's a, a brief little cameo from a, a familiar character who... Um, shows up and, and uh, isn't really sure what happened, but uh, possibly might show up again later. I feel like this is only a tease that more Marvel heroes are going to show up and, and intervene with this, I presume, new uh, Darkhawk. But uh, it seems that, that Connor's luck is uh, kind of down as, uh, <clears throat> um, as the issue comes to a close. Um, he is, uh, I guess taken down by some other guy, some hoodlum in a, in a white jacket. I wasn't sure. Was that supposed to be someone? Again, I, I'm not really caught up on Dark Hawk lore, but um, this guy who goes by the name of Mr. Colt. Did, did I miss something? Was he in the previous issue or something? Uh, not that I'm... Not that I uh, remembered or had in my notes. I just understand that he's the... the the villain i i think he's probably always been after the dark hawk amulet but i'm a okay. little rusty on my dark hawk too yeah well, i i wasn't sure if like maybe he's like a previous wielder of dark hawk or something i i wasn't sure but um yeah i just i don't know i just kind of showed up and i was like i don't who is that am i supposed to know who that is is that supposed to be recognizable to me or maybe to someone who knows more about dark hawk but um it's cool, you know? I mean, it's it's nothing spectacular or great or anything, but I think as kind of like this um, 
this newer take on a maybe a, a more familiar character to some people um it, it might work but um and for me i definitely feel like it does but um you know i it's it's nothing outstanding but it's it's just kind of enjoyable in its way um and i really like the covers that have come out so far those are just just excellently drawn um by mm -hmm. Ivan Cayo. um so yeah, I don't. I didn't have like a ton to say about this one. It was just kind of a solid read, and it's. I think it's interesting enough that it'll keep me reading if it just kind of stays at this level. But it's not really knocking it out of the park or anything. So I, I ended up giving this one a seven out of ten. Yeah, I also gave Dark Hawk a seven out of ten. It was good. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm. I'm interested in how this kid is going to fall into the Dark Hawk persona in the long term. Mm -hmm. uh, things like that and I, I do wonder anytime they bring up one of these more obscure characters for a five issue run I do wonder if they ever like if that means they have plans for them in some other place uh, and Darkhawk I think is a good candidate if they can write a couple good runs for him um, that like I would totally be okay with him showing up in other team ups and things a bit more often uh, yeah. He doesn't have like a famous rogues gallery that jumps out of my mind, but he's got a good aesthetic. Like he's fun to see dynamically. He brings some cool stuff to the table. Yeah, I feel like, especially just kind of revamping a, a character like that in in kind of a younger persona. I think he's a character that you could very easily fold into another team. So, um, you know, maybe he could be on the Champions or the Young Avengers or something like that, um, and probably fit in just as well. It'd be a good way to kind of keep that character going with the once his miniseries wraps up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right, next we've got Winter Guard number two. Winter Guard number two comes to us from Ryan Katie on writing, art by Jan Bazaldua, color by Federico Blee, letter by Ariana Mar. Uh, with just by the way, shout out to the gorgeous covers in the Winter Guard series by Tony Infante. Oh man, they are just beautiful. Oh yeah. Um This really just continues the story of uh Alexi and Yelena are going through trying to find the details on a uh dark mission from the KGB's past that Alexi had to take place in, um the Operation Snowblind. Um that they uh in the first issue, they fought Crimson Dynamo as part of recovering this, and now they are fleeing the Winter Guard, and we're seeing the drama of the Winter Guard as they're chasing after them, and they don't trust that the Red Guardian and Yelena are like good. They they think they're uh, traitors and traitors to the state and doing horrible things, and they think that. Uh, sabotaging the Crimson Dynamo armor in the first one must have been an inside job that one of the members of the Winter Guard is on their side. And so there's tensions are high. And this issue really just features them. They chase down Yelena and uh, Alexi in two different places. They do some, for lack of a better word, avenging. A big natural disaster hits an area. Uh, and they do some superhero work. They save some people. And they find out that Alexi was there earlier and actually got a lot of people to safety as well uh, in advance. And then uh, Yelena speaks to Ursa Major and starts trying to get them to get him to see her side. 
And then the only other thing is we get some interesting conversations between Darkstar and Chernabog to sort of maybe start growing out that relationship with the Dark Force. Uh, nice. But beyond beyond that, it was a uh, some action, some cool stuff happened, like good fights, good things, like some characterization of all these uh, these characters who most people probably are not familiar with anyone on the Winter Guard. Um, but there, it's a good team. It's a good issue. The art is good. The writing's good. Uh, I ended up giving it a seven out of ten. Like it's, I'm excited to read more of it. Mm. Um, especially with these dope covers, like they look really good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So next on our list, we're going over to Sword Number Eight. Sword Number Eight is brought to us by <coughs> Al Ewing on writing, Gu Villanova on art, Fernando Sifuentes uh, on color. Ariana Mar on lettering. And I will pass this one over to Brandon. My pleasure. Uh, just one second. Yeah, this was uh, Sword Number 8, uh, entitled Vox Araki. And I had to take a, a brief moment to, to quickly Google what Vox meant because... The phrasing of that sounded very similar to Pax Romana, which obviously means peace for Rome, and Vox apparently, and, and this should actually be kind of obvious because I know Vox is used usually to refer to like sound or mics or whatever, but Vox in Latin means voice. So Vox Araki would literally mean the voice of soul or the voice of Araco, as is in the title. And I think that's a very appropriate name for um, <clears throat> this title of this issue because this really focuses on something that I had really wanted to see developed more after it had been kind of teased in Sword and Planet Size X-Men, which was if you have this new region of Mars, this new role, which Storm is acting as, what is kind of her protocol? What does she do? Um, and this issue in particular really digs into that as she is basically asserting her role as the regent of Mars and is kind of trying to rein in all of the Iraqi people and they're giving her a lot of guff for it. And she kind of has to step in and say, I am the authority here. I am the one who, you know, commands and, and takes the role and acts as, as the regent of all of you. And uh, in particular, the Iraqi people, those from Amenth, from Ten of Swords, in the Great Rig of Morocco, seem to have a lot of trouble with that. Um, and um, one of them in particular, um, <clears throat> whose name I am... Uh, blanking on right now uh, but he's like the guy with like the, the gray tentacles or whatever you remember his name um yeah it was oh shoot tarn um, that was it tarn the uncaring yes <laughs> it's like sometimes it's just like how do i remember these names um <laughs> but yeah so yeah tarn the uncaring in particular um is the one who is just kind of dissatisfied or unsatisfied with her her current um, reign as as region of Mars and in fact challenges her um, to a, a, a duel um, in the circle perilous to kind of you know take away her power and that's sort of when Storm kind of has to step in and say like hey I'm not someone that you fuck with like um, even if you try and take away my power and give me blights like I will still be here 
you know, unyielding. And there's this really great moment where Tarn is basically says like, oh, I see you now. You are not a Krakoan. You are not a human. You are truly an Iraqi. You, you might even be from Ameth. You're just so, you know, so ruthless and so savage and so uncaring. Um, and uh, it, it literally calls her Stormly Uncaring. And it's just like, you are absolutely fit to, to you know, lead us in a sense because you have that, that ruthlessness that all Iraqi people have. And really this is just kind of an affirmation and both an exploration and an affirmation of Storm as mm -hmm. the uh, new region of Mars. And I thought it was really well done. Like it was just really solid. My biggest issue with it right now is just the art. Um, I felt it was strong in some places and then really weak in others, especially compared to what we've been getting from um, Valerio Schiti and or Valerio Schiti and um, the one issue from Stefano Caselli. This just felt like kind of a downgrade in terms of art. And we even have this gorgeous cover from Stefano, and um, it just felt like a little bit of a downgrade in terms of art quality. But other than that, I had no problems. I just thought it was a really, really solid issue all around. And I hope we kind of get more issues on this, focusing on like what it actually means to be, uh, you know, the ruler of of this new um, planet Araco and um, I, I don't know I mean it's it's kind of hard to say or kind of hard to be hopeful for that just given that this series is ending after issue 11 but um, my hope is that we'll be able to have some more really interesting stuff before it, it comes to a close so I gave it an 8.25 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah I really enjoyed this one. Um... I thought the exploration of Storm's character and really just showing her off that, yeah, she's as scary as she's always been and that she's definitely fit to rule was a great exploration of her character. I quite enjoyed it and I gave it a, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, Storm is a, is a badass as usual and, and uh, totally shows it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a dope issue. Um <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Next up, we've got Nonstop Spider-Man number five. Nonstop Spider-Man number five comes to us by Joe Kelly on writing, Chris Piccolo and Corey Smith and Gerardo Sandoval on pencils, Tim Soundin, uh, Wayne Fauché, Corey Smith, Victor Nava, Victor Olazaba, and Gerardo Sandoval on ink, Jim Charalamp, Carol Ampetus, uh, and Chris Sotomayor on colors, and Travis Lanham on letters. Star-studded cast on this issue. Yeah. And this finishes up nonstop Spider-Man, and it really is just uh, the the end of, you know, the or not the end, but it, it's closing up the Baron Zemo teaming up with... Um, Oh, who was it that he teamed up with? Sorry. Uh, oh, Wolf. Mm -hmm. Baron Zemo teams up with Wolf to make this new drug that makes people essentially stupid and <laughs> makes their brain shut down and then they'll die. And it's it's a complicated, like, or not complicated, but it's like a big dramatic issue. It really keeps up that tone of nonstop. Of it, it just... It starts in action, and then they really try to not give Peter a chance to rest anywhere in this issue. Yeah, that was um, kind of the the whole tagline of the series was like nonstop motion, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so much of that is here in this issue. And yeah, it's it's a cool issue in terms of fighting. We see a lot of really dramatic, great panels in this scene. We, uh, we also get pretty hilarious uh, at the end of the last issue Peter Parker was hit by the drug so he was his brain is essentially leaking out of his eyeballs in this uh, in this entire comic so as he's trying to like trash talk Baron Zemo he says some really dumb things like his because his mouth essentially doesn't work it's pretty funny yeah Um, we uh we still get, and I love the way they can they did his spider sense all throughout nonstop Spider-Man as like words because with him being dumb, his spider sense will really show up and it'll say, "Hey, they still have guns," and then he'll reply out loud, "Me know this," like because <laughs> he's just getting stupider and stupider as the comic goes on. Yeah. Um, and then really outside of the action, there's some neat partial conclusions but not really because as people might have already heard they're sort of moving non-stop spider-man into savage spider-man and so the story is continuing there so this book doesn't end with peter winning and everything going back to normal it ends with a obvious not an obvious a big pull into spider-man in savage spider-man with like a dramatic change and Zemo still around and Wolf is still around. So both of those (laughs) might feature in Savage Spider-Man. Yeah. And then I, um, I think the only other thing that, and I don't really have the, uh, the voice of like, I don't know when, when something is well done or not in this vein, but so Zemo, they, they pushed him on his, his, sort of genetic purity angle that he's rocked before, you know, Mm -hmm. as a Nazi Hydra type person. Yeah. Which sometimes he's ridden the line between whether or not Zemo is actually a Nazi uh, in past comics. Yeah. Well, at least, yeah, this iteration, because I mean, I know obviously the original World War II Baron Zemo that Cap fought before he was in the ice was, was obviously working with, the Nazis and Hydra and everything. But this one, I yeah. guess, has been a bit more of like, a, like, he's willing to work with Hydra, he's willing to work with other shadowy corporations or shadowy organizations, but um, whether he's an out-and-out, you know, purist or racial purist or anything, they've always kind of danced around that, at least from my memory. Yeah, they've, they've danced around it, and honestly, like, I've kind of appreciated that, that he's just sort of been villainous for a lot of other reasons lately yeah uh and in this one it seems like he was pushing for uh um sorry in this issue it seems pushing more towards his nazi heritages Mm -hmm. because he works with a team in this book that he finds out in the final pages is a black guy and a bunch of other people under the masks of different ethnicities and Mm -hmm. he is not uh, like he doesn't respond super well to that <clears throat> and I, I don't know I didn't like how it felt but I'm not I don't have any uh, good like sense on when whether or not it's tasteful like he didn't use any any slurs he was just kind of like 
he was just like ah crap you're you're black like yeah. it was very weird and it's it, it, like it felt weird and i don't know it it didn't feel like a proper exploration of the issue it mm. literally just felt added to be like hey zemo's racist which cool i guess i don't know it does seem kind of weird yeah and then they explained that they used hydra's blueprint that they are not they are people of different ethnicities but all of their bloodlines have never been tainted like they are all pure so it's like their own racial superiority concept but it is not one ethnicity is superior it is just any undiluted ethnicity maybe which is also pretty questionable i don't i don't know if i'm just getting the wrong vibe from it i i I probably should stop talking before i like accidentally misspeak something that is probably more impactful in this issue and i just was too stupid to pick up on it (laughs) i i didn't uh, yeah i i this and like i think the last issue like i i haven't read four and five so i'm still kind of out of the loop on this one but um i mean i i am at least interested in finishing it because i do remember enjoying the first three so um maybe i'll i'll see and and i can have more of a take on it then perfect yeah i gave this one a seven out of ten i like the action i like the writing i like a lot of the style Mm -hmm. um but it not finishing its story even though nonstop is over, feels a little weird. Um, so just go right into Savage. And then, yeah, just some some angles on the story never like landed properly for me. Doctor Strange's yeah. involvement and who these villains are sort of hasn't been answered in a way that I'm satisfied with. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's nonstop Spider-Man. Nice. Ne- Next we'll go over to Miles Morales' Spider-Man. This one comes to us by a team of uh, Saladin Ahmed on writing, uh, Carmen Carnero on art, Eric Arkinyega on color, and Corey Pettit on lettering. Uh, Brandon, I'll pass this one over to you. Sure. So um, this issue is uh, fairly straightforward, I guess. I mean, there's not a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's there's not a lot of, of like a, a deeper mystery going on it's it's really more miles has his new costume and he's just kind of in the neighborhood it almost felt more like a setup issue so you could kind of get towards the end so you know we check in on miles he takes down this total jackass in mandroid armor <laughs> um uh but he he does at, at the very least give uh, our, our podcast a shout out when he says that's not a robot, I was like, "Hey, it's <laughs> us!" Um, but yeah, he takes out the jackass in the mandroid armor, uh, checks in with these two twin girls who were crying because they lost their dog, um, and Miles, being the good, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that he is, helps them find their dog. Um, he catches up with um, the new. Um, why am I forgetting her name? Um, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with some of these newer characters' names. Um, she was on the. The champions um, uh, um vulture's granddaughter um she was on the champions why am i not remembering her yeah she was in the most recent champions um run she was like in jail to um oh my god oh it's on the tip of my tongue um uh it's like 
damn it. The, the, oh my god. It's gonna kill me. I don't remember her name. I don't remember her in Champions, and I definitely... She definitely was one of the child superhero, or like young teen superheroes who was arrested in Champions. Yes, I don't remember. I don't remember her. Uh, her name. Wanna name. I want to say her name is like Starling or something, but it's not. It's like, it's like uh, close to that. Actually, I think Starling is correct. Is it? Is it really? Yes. Um, I think it, that's correct. Starling is a bird. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was Starling. No, I was right. Oh my god, there we go. Sorry, I just wasted like two minutes. Um, but yeah, no, Miles uh, checks in with his, his girlfriend Starling, and you know, they're having their little makeout session on the roof uh, before the big revelation that it's all under the um, watch of Taskmaster, who's getting ready to strike. Um, there are. Uh, as I remember, uh, there are two backup stories, um, and both of them are kind of in the same vein. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. Did you did you get the sense that that either of them were really that different? I mean, both of them just kind of revolved around Miles is a good person in his community who is willing to help out. And it's like, yeah, that's that's it, that is true. But they weren't really that different. Honestly, the only real discerning features of them is that one of them is a story from Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, who obviously did uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which featured Miles pretty heavily. Um, And the other one was from Cody Ziegler, who I guess is going to be one of the contributing writers on the um, upcoming weekly Spider-Man series featuring uh, Ben Riley. But other than that, I mean, I, I don't even... I don't even know that I want to fully summarize the backup stories. They were just, they were kind of honestly the same. One of them was just like, here's Miles. Here's what he does in his community. The other one, he like stops a bank heist or something and and uh, helps out, you know, and just gives one of the girls hope. And it's just like, yeah, like that, that's it. Um, yeah. Did you, did you, I mean, am, am I missing something? I, I honestly, I was just like, yeah, these stories are kind of the same. Like they're not bad. They're just, you know they're they're very similar in the same vein, and um, yeah, it's it's cool, but you know, like I didn't feel like I needed a bunch of detail on them. Yeah, I think the only thing that stood out to me out of both of those st- stories was in the second <laughs> one after he stops them from robbing the bodega or uh, whatever that is. Yeah. Um. Well, so that one takes place. It says ten years later. Like that's adult Miles. Yeah. Um, and maybe I just haven't been paying attention to this series, but I haven't ever seen this before where they, where they did like a time jump to adult miles. Um, only in like the, the, um, they had this, like the end one shot that Marvel does sometimes. And, but that was like an old man, Miles Morales. Yeah. So this is 10 years later. And so we know he's still milesing it up being Spider-Man. Oh, nice. Uh, but in there, there was two, two things like details that I wonder if they're going to spend any more time on later that stood out to me. One was, he says he's got to get home because he's not going to miss the dinner or the missus will chew him out. So he does get married in the next 10 years. So good for him. Yep. 
Uh, and then second, he make there's one line where he says that when he was young, he used to swing with the OG Spider-Man until dot dot dot. Well, kid, you know what happened. And I don't know what happened. Yeah. Like, and I wonder if they're going to build up to that at all. Like, if that's what I'm supposed to take out of this is just that somewhere in the next 10 years in Marvel time, which could be 300 years real time, um, something happens to Peter Parker or Spider-Man or something. Mm. And I don't know. I So the, like, the one side story, it just gave, like, these weird, like, ooh, mystery, there's more going on vibes. But I don't have any promises that we're actually going to visit that time and like learn what's going on i don't know yeah i i did think there was a, a funny little thing um when there's like the brief um scene of, of like miles on snl and all these other things and there's comments and some of the comments are from people who work in the marvel bullpen like jay bowen and, and jen grunewald and i thought that was pretty <laughs> funny and saying things like spider-man was the worst host like <laughs> for yeah. snl that, oh that was so funny yeah yeah um and people ridiculing him on his pitch for uh, at the at the new york stadium so funny yeah but yeah i i don't know the the main book it i gave it a seven out of ten um because it was fine but you're not wrong. Like really, nothing I felt happened. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It very much felt like we need to do stuff until we can get to that last page, which sounds kind of mean, but um, it really, yeah, it really was just like honestly, the theme of this book. If you create a unifying theme, was like this is Miles in his community, which is cool. It is honestly, but it doesn't really have I don't know a ton of purpose and. Maybe they were trying to do something slow before the next arc starts. Not really sure, but um, it just didn't really feel essential in any way. It was just kind of like, yeah. Um, and I actually, I, I'm going to double down on that point. And, and honestly, it felt like more of an excuse to show off Miles' new costume. Yeah, I... Like, the we, best need, w- yeah, we need action scenes so we can show you that Miles has a new costume. So here is him taking down this idiot in mandroid armor here's him running around as spider-man looking for the twins little dog Mm -hmm. honestly and the best way i can describe this one like or my feelings for this one is if this was the first issue in a collection of in like a trade yeah um so you you picked up a brand new trade you haven't been reading miles morales you pick this one up it tells you Miles has a new costume. Here's Miles running around town doing random things. Some action, get you into the character, get you into his sense of humor. Introduce Taskmaster at the end, and the rest of this trade is going to be him dealing with Taskmaster. I feel like it makes a lot of sense in that context. Yeah. If you're in your comic shop and you're like, oh, hey, there's a new issue of Miles, and you pick it up and you read this one, I don't know that you're going to get anything out of it. Not really. Not, nothing that you don't already know yeah and that's and that's where this issue kind of falls apart for me like it was good there's nothing wrong with it as a comic it's just sort of as a purchase it's a little weird like it's hard to justify like it's just miles doing very regular miles stuff 
and, and which and showing off the costume, which isn't so bad. It's just, it's not a, you know, I've advocated for worse comics. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's pretty neutral. Uh, it's it's also like a thirtieth issue, which is really cool for Miles. I don't know how many thirties he's made it up to in the past. Um, yeah, not a not a ton. I don't think. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um. Yeah, so that's cool, but that's really all I have for that one. Yeah, no, I, I gave this one a, a seven point five out of ten. Like, not bad by any means, just sort of there for me. Hmm. All right. So next on our list, we've got Wolverine. <laughs> uh, Wolverine issue sixteen. Brought to us by Benjamin Percy on writing, Adam Kubert on art, Espen Grundetirn and with Frank Martin on color, and Corey Petit on letters. And this one really sort of finishes up the bit, the arc that Wolverine's been going through for a while, with uh, the Muramasa blades having been stolen by Salem, and the pirate out of uh, Blackwater. Um, I'm going to forget the pirate's name. Mm-hmm. Um, having oh uh, Sever Blackmore that's his name <laughs> nice. and that whole thing and this comic really just features you know a bit of Wolverine talking to Salem a bit of Salem being his trademark self and learning a bit about them there's a attempt at a plan that comes together there's a twist in the plan things don't go exactly right and then things kind of end up working out in the end um, without going into too many spoilers, if you're invested in Wolverine, this is a pretty good issue. I I enjoyed what it did. I actually really liked. It was a very short and brief, but there is an exploration of Wolverine and Emma Frost's relationship here, mm. and she, uh, and you know, he talks about her obviously with kind of a great deal of respect and slight intimidation, like. <clears throat> Yeah. Which is really cool. And it's also awesome. She has a really awesome interaction with Salem. Uh, and there's a, a hilarious sort of X page. I don't know what we call those. Just the pages of writing. Right. <laughs> uh, that captures her, like, excerpts from her conversation with Salem. And and it's it's just a pretty funny read. Like, they just they get in some good jokes there. But everything works out in a pretty cool way, and I thought it was enjoyable. Uh, I like Salem. I, I wish that we were doing more f- with him. He seems a little fickle, which I guess is sort of his vibe. Uh, but this cool adamantium skin character, I think we can do more with him. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I gave the issue an 8 out of 10. I had a good time with it. It made me laugh. It, I thought it was a good wrap-up to this chunk of the story, and they tease the next villain that Wolverine's going to be dealing with. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, fine. I mean, I hadn't, honestly, this is kind of a me jumping back into Wolverine because I hadn't really been following it a ton. So I didn't know too much about, um, you know, that character, Salem. I knew he was in Ten of Swords, and obviously the Muramasa Blades were a big part of that too. But um, it was kind of cool to just kind of see what, what, uh, Logan's been up to for a little bit and you know it was solidly written but um, I don't know that it really grabbed me or anything it was just kind of there so I ended up giving this one a 7 out of 10 
Awesome. But I did really like the art from Adam Hubert. I thought his, his uh, Wolverine still looks really, really great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so next on our list, we have Thor issue 17, brought to us by Donnie Cates on writing with Mich- Michelle Bandini as a guest artist, Matthew Wilson as a color artist, and Joe Sabino on lettering. And I'll pass this one over to Brandon. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, this is Thor 17, wrapping up the Revelations arc, a small little three-parter before we get into our next big uh, five-part arc when Nick Klein returns. And uh, this issue is literally exactly what it is supposed to be. It is wrapping up this little chapter. It is um, kind of bringing to a kind of close, I guess, um, or dealing with some of his problems with his his father and or at least trying to deal with some of the problems with his father and uh, in particular Angela um, and um, and Freya are the ones kind of calling him out for it saying like you cannot continue like this you have let Asgard just totally fall apart and with your failures we either need you to get your shit together or you need to like pass it on to someone else that someone being me, which I don't want to do, but if I have to, I will. Um, and Thor has a really nice heart-to-heart moment with Freya in particular, um, and she just kind of affirms that, hey, even though you may not be my blood son anymore, given the whole Phoenix retcon or whatever, um, but you were still the, you know, the boy that I raised, and, and I still love you for that reason. And um, that's when he sort of gets an urgent call uh, about uh, some matters that. He had hoped to have dealt with uh, before, but unfortunately, it seems that uh, he's going to have to deal with it uh, rather rapidly. And that major situation, now uh, to stop bearing the lead, is that Mjolnir is gone, and the Avengers, who had been watching it, have no idea where it went. So it's fine. You know, it was it was a solid conclusion to this arc. Um, I can't say it was phenomenal. It was, I mean, honestly, I feel like. This arc, unless you have just been really, really digging this run or you're a diehard Thor fan, this arc is kind of skippable because it, it sort of feels like it was all sort of designed to just get from point A to point B, which is Thor gives up his hammer, goes through some stuff, and then finally, at the end of it, he loses his hammer and has to get it back. Um, and they threw in some of the Odin stuff to kind of you know wrap up that whole plot line, or, or at least try and wrap up that whole plot line, but... Other than that, it didn't feel entirely essential. Um, and I actually did really enjoy it. Like, I, I found the story to be pretty good, and, and I, I've just been digging this run so far. But I totally would understand if this felt, you know, entirely non essential. Um, and I actually really like the art from Michelle Bandini, too, paired with Matt Wilson's colors. I think it works phenomenally well. Um, so I ended up giving this one an 8.25 out of 10. I did enjoy it, but I do understand that. In the grand scheme of things, it's probably not the most essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gave this one a 7.5 out of 10. It was good, but nothing like majorly essential happened to it. The big twist at the end uh, was, <coughs> uh, was neat. And then the conversation between Thor and his mother was nice. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a sucker for Angela being on screen. Because yeah. uh, I, I do actually quite enjoy Angela in her marvel persona especially since i yeah. actually kind of followed her from spawn to marvel oh wow 
um, which is cool because I'm I'm a big Spawn fan. I, I grew up reading a lot of Spawn, yeah. uh, in and out of Marvel, and then when she came over to Marvel because of that whole thing, it was kind of cool. Like, it, I, I was probably <clears throat> part of a very small subset of people who really enjoyed that transition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but I thought it was neat, and I I dug it, and I dug the issue. But yeah, I gave it a seven point five. It didn't strike me as big in terms of revelations or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, next on our list, we've got Black Cat number ten. Black Cat number ten is brought to us by Jed McKay on writing, CF Villa on artist, uh, color by Brian Reber, and lettering by Farron Delgado. And this one, it's. Black Cat continues her Infinity Score storyline. She's pulling Quantum on board, even though she kind of regrets it. And then she ends up being chased by a mysterious assailant who turns out to be Nighthawk. Oh. And this is where the comic takes a turn for me that I'm less invested in. Because this is the Nighthawk who remembers everything from Heroes Reborn. Oh, no. And wants to turn things back that way. And so he's talking to Felicia about this life they had together where they used to be rivals. And then they, I guess, maybe fell in love in his universe. Uh, Basically Batman and Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. They basically fell in love in in his universe. (laughs) And... um. He wants to go back to that universe. And then Fury shows up and shoots the heck out of both of them with rubber bullets. And they both have to retreat. And then Black Cat gets away with the help of Odessa. And she's... um, uh, She thinks she's almost at the end. But it sounds like... uh, What's her name? Star? I think is her name? The... the reality warping reality gem superhero has other plans for Felicia. So Mm. it sounds like things are not all going to go Felicia's way. Right. Um, yeah, the comic is all right. The infinity score has been an interesting storyline, but it hasn't won me over. I gave the, the whole book, uh, a 7.5 out of 10 because the action, there's a lot of good action scenes of Felicia whipping through the city, running from Nighthawk in some really mm-hmm. dramatic ways. And then from the moment Nighthawk starts talking, my interest in this comic drops fast. And <laughs> I feel so bad about that. But Heroes Reborn didn't land well for me. And having this character still representing Heroes Reborn is like, okay, I get it. It's just not really my thing. But yeah, I'm excited to see what Star does to screw over Felicia. Uh, I think that might be a cool finale. Yeah. And that's coming up in the... I think they're getting a giant size finale to this. Um, probably next month, I think. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, they. I, I swear, they announced either a, a king size or a giant size black cat in November. And I think that's the next issue of this story. Hmm. That could be good. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I like Black Cat, and she hasn't got a lot of her own comics that I've ever really enjoyed in the past. But I'm here for this one. It's it's 
it's passable and I'm in, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so we're just going to take a short commercial break before we dump, dive into our soapbox for the day. Sweet. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. And we're back. Thanks, everyone. Now we're here for our full segment, our soapbox, where we've got three comics that we have just, you know, a bit more that we that we want to say about. And we're going to kick this one off with something big that I know uh, some of you X-Men fans have been waiting for for a long time. I know I have. We've got Inferno number one, brought to us by the man himself, Jonathan Hickman on writing, Valerio Shidi on art, David Curiel on color, and Joe Sabino on letter. And so I'm going to hand this one over to Brandon to, uh, to start us off. Absolutely, absolutely. So yes, this is Inferno number one, the big dramatic triumphant return of Jonathan Hickman to the X universe for I guess his no not I guess his final story uh, involving a Krakoa though it's not the end of Krakoa it's just the end of the story that he has been telling so far uh, and, and what better place to start than with an epic uh, and, and very fitting callback to House of X number one with the emergence of some mutants from some strange cocoons and uh Emma Frost herself wearing the Cerebro armor and saying to me, my X-Men, which I thought was just such a such an excellent and dramatic way to start. So but, good. <clears throat> how to break down this issue? Because there is a lot, a lot going on. Um, but essentially, I'm going to try and, and break it down into parts because um, each one kind of carries its own importance and will be leading to some very important stuff. So Let's start out with the Orcus Forge. The X-Men, at least for the past couple weeks, months, or however long it's been, have staged 16 incursions on the current Orcus Forge that orbits the sun. Now, why is that important, you may ask? Well, let's start with the fact that out of all 16, zero of them have yielded any kind of success, and the X-Men have seemingly been throwing the same type of solution at the problem, expecting different results each time, ultimately failing each time uh, and Orcus the Orcus scientists in particular I tried to break down what exactly that means you know if you're trying something 16 times and it's still not working what can you gauge from that you know what, what does that mean and in particular it's Dr. Devo who deduces that if you're trying that many times something and failing that many times it means that you are desperate and that you have no idea what's coming next. Almost like you're forgetting it. Almost like every time you die, the memory that you carry with you on those missions doesn't exist anymore. And the memory that you had prior to those missions is the only thing that you remember. But how mm -hmm. is that possible? How could the mutants have achieved something like that? Which was like, oh just had me just chills it's like you're so close you were almost there it's like you realize that something is so totally not kosher but it's really <clears throat> it's really um uh karima the omega sentinel that makes the final deduction which is how is it that they know to keep coming but they still don't remember how to actually breach 
you know, the defenses. They still have no memory of what's actually on stage. And it's Kirima who says, because someone, someone on Krakoa knows about this thing and it's why they keep coming. And that's, that's kind of like your opening chapter. And you're like, oh shit, they are so close to knowing about Moira. Uh, and mm-hmm. speaking of Moira, this issue in particular deals with a lot of stuff with Moira uh, as we open with a flashback from House of X uh, that details how Moira had seemingly worked on a cure for the mutant gene only to be completely obliterated by the... <clears throat> by Mag- No, not by Magneto, but by Mystique and Destiny who informed her that this is not your way, this is not what you should be doing with this many lives, that... Uh, if your existence is only to cause mutants harm by creating this cure, we will have no choice but to continue killing you and killing you until you have no more lives left. Um, and Moira is seemingly, as we remember from House of X number two, radicalized from this experience, but uh, maybe having some backwards thoughts, maybe uh, a, a moment of doubt, as as Destiny highlights before she burns her, that. You know, you're always going to have that seed of maybe I was right this entire time. Maybe I really was supposed to kill all the, or maybe I was supposed to try and do everything I could to erase all mutants, but um, maybe, maybe not. So <clears throat> that's sort of where we uh, establish uh, where Moira has been uh, uh, all this time. And uh, we also have some other revelations from uh, some other Orcus strongholds who see Moira moving in and out of the gates and realize that something also isn't right there, that there is seemingly another gate acting on top of another gate, and uh, they don't understand how that data could be right. It doesn't seem to make sense. So they call the people who have been helping them understand the Krakoan technology the fan favorite (laughs) characters of the horticulture to kind of uh, get some tech support as they don't really have a full comprehension of what the problem is. but little do they know that they are also being spied on by some members of X-Force who inform her that the uh, Orcus people are making some very rapid moves and they need to stay alert. Back on Krakoa and Moira's No Place, uh, in a scene that I think might have been my favorite out of the entire issue, Moira returns to find Charles and Xavier, to find Charles and Magneto, excuse me, um, <laughs> waiting there in the hopes of basically just getting more information out of Moira. They don't really care about her at all. They just need more advice. And Moira is like, oh, so now you need me. I've been hidden in secret all this time, you know, cast away while you two men have been off building your giant empire. And I've been hidden here like a, like a rat that you just, just utilize for whenever you need me. But I'm tired of it and I need to take action on my own. And they kind of have to humble themselves and say, okay, we're here, we're listening, we need you to help us. And that's when Moira really lays it all on the line and says there's only one way that you're coming out of this, and that is to eliminate every single trace of destiny you can from existence. Because she was pretty clear in House of X uh, number six that there can be no precogs on Krakoa. That is a risk that they cannot take. And even though Mystique has basically been clamoring to get destiny back, they cannot allow that to happen no matter what the cost. Um, <clears throat> finally, before we get to our, I'd say, our most important scene uh, in the Quiet Council, we have two uh, other brief little scenes, just kind of checking in with some of the stuff on Krakoa, 
uh, Doug with um, uh, Warlock and Krakoa just kind of establishing his place as the mutant voice uh, for the island and Doug seems to be in a really happy place which is good for him you know glad, glad you're living your best life uh, in addition Cyclops is uh, forced to kind of well not really forced but actually more of his choice chooses to relinquish his role as the uh, captain commander of Krakoa uh, to Bishop as he is acting as leader of the X-Men and can't really divide his time as much as he needs to and uh, it's just this really beautiful changing of the guard moment but I'm sure is also some setup for some important decisions that Bishop is going to have to make later uh, involving some of the further developments on Krakoa but that leads us to our final scene uh, on the Quiet Council where <clears throat> Sebastian uh, no, not Sebastian. I'm so sorry. Uh, Xavier and Magneto are trying to establish a, sort of a new dynamic, um, given that some of the members of the Quiet Council have been forced off or have had to relinquish their roles, and they acknowledge that maybe it's time to have some some changes, some shifts that uh, might be important to the Quiet Council moving forward. And that is, of course, the perfect moment for. Mystique to step up and make her proclamation that now is the time. In fact, she says the time is now to make the decision on who they want to elect to the Quiet Council. And that person is none other than... I'm not going to spoil it because it is a really big reveal and I want you to read it for yourself. I want all the readers to read it for themselves. But uh, if you have been following the uh, House of X, you know, Krakoa and stuff so far you are going to just lose your mind at who this big reveal is because it has such major implications for the future of Krakoa and what it might actually mean, how long this person may be around, and what they might reveal about the future of the nation. Uh, but that was Krakoa, that was Inferno in a nutshell. It was just such a, a big, bombastic issue. Um, I don't know if I enjoyed it quite as much as you know, how I felt when I first read House of X number one, but it was definitely that same energy, that same intensity that I was feeling when I first felt it of just like, oh shit, you have no idea what's going to come next, but you are just fully on for the ride and, and, and you love it. Um, <clears throat> so for me, uh, this issue is excellent, both artistically, both story-wise, just excellent pacing, excellent um, direction, excellent characterization. I was just hooked from beginning to end, and I just loved every second of it, and I'm so excited for Inferno number two. I cannot wait until that issue drops. I can't believe it's going to be a month from now, but I'm just going to be counting the days until we get there. So this issue got a 9 out of 10 for me. It was just simply amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to echo that sent sentiment pretty much entirely. This comic blew me away. Uh, it, it had such perfect like moments each beat of you know from start to orcas talking about the situation uh and you know i know i was hard on horticulture in the past but uh that was mostly just because i thought they were a little kooky for the way they were being used at the time but this use of them say like a pulling on them as someone with history with the krakoan gates like I thought it was a really fitting like draw on some some of the other side comics that we've gotten throughout the the run in X Men like Horticulture and 
uh, Orcus and all of these things, they've all been being built up in several other comics. So mm. it really started to sell that, that it matters that like that what they're doing has had an impact. Yeah. And I quite enjoyed that. And then, man, they really sell me that Nimrod is terrifying. Oh yeah. Like, which is cool. And like, like I love his characterization and I love the flashback scene, which I'm fairly certain is an exact like transposition or maybe different panels. Like the art is different, but that in that exchange with destiny and Moira happened. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's it's the exact same as house of X number two. We just get a little bit more, um, a little bit more detail on some of the stuff like, the opening scene where they're kind of celebrating their achievements and everything that wasn't in the original one. And I think mm. there's a, like, it was almost like an extended version of the sort of monologue that destiny is giving. Uh, yeah. but other than that, it's, it's pretty much verbatim from house of X number two. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was great. Like it's such a cool scene. Yeah, I love it, that scene. It really builds into all of those. And it summarizes exactly why, and this is something that's interesting because Moira, she's doing a lot to help mutants create Krakoa, and she's done a lot over the years to try and help mutants. Um, but, and what's really funny and what's really interesting about this whole piece is that there is not actually a, um, Moira has no proof that a precog on Krakoa is dangerous to Krakoa. She's just scared of destiny. Yeah. She's scared that if she's making the wrong choices, destiny will see them and kill her again. Yeah. And I, well, I guess another implication is just like, you don't want to know what the future might hold. Like we can't take that chance um, because if we do, you're going to try and do everything you can to prevent it. And that could create another series of possible futures that could just, make the situation a lot worse so it's like we can't you know we can't take any chances on maybes right we can't take any chances on hypothetical futures or anything like that we just need to let these things play out and and see what will happen as opposed to um you know a precog who could seemingly see every kind of future um and uh and could be very very dangerous to the fabric of what they're trying to build Hmm. Yeah, and so it's really cool that they've characterized it there. And I think the Moira relationship is what we're going to see a bit more in the rest of Inferno. And I'm excited for that. And I gave this, I also gave this one a 9 out of 10. It was just such an incredible book. Uh, Some really great interactions. I love X-Force trying to fight Nimrod. I love the, like the, when Orcus is sitting there like, we don't understand how these signatures make sense. And they show it to horticulture and they're like, oh, those cheeky bastards. They put one on top of the other and Orcus goes nuts. They're like, shit, all hands on deck. Like, it shows that there is this game of cat and mouse being played with Orcus right now. Oh, yeah. And and I dig it. it. It was just such a good book. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really, really excited to see what that twist at the end sets up. Oh, absolutely. I'm just, I'm so stoked to just see like what you could build out of that and and how that person may or may not lead to 
you know, some major developments. And, and, and really, I mean, what was going on in that first scene with Emma and Charles and, and right? uh, Magneto? I, I, I want context for it all. And I'm just, I'm just super excited to see what happens next. It just it feels really good to just be you know, into it again. Because it, it kind of feels like some of the X-Books have been treading water for a little bit. But this feels like, all right, back on track. The bigger mysteries at hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly like Charles and Magneto, something is going to happen in one of these books. They're going to die, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is exciting, and I want to see what causes that, what leads us down that road. I'm, I'm just, I'm really in uh, with this series, and absolutely. Uh, I'm also curious and about there's there's a line from an old Destiny appearance that you know really teased inferno where destiny says to mystique um there will be there will come like a mutant island and it will be a paradise and bring me back and if they won't burn the island to the ground yeah and i'm curious to see how the events of inferno are going to line up with that sentence with that statement like is Inferno her burning it to the ground? What happens? Like, it's, there's obvious a big tie there, and I'm, I, I want to see that explored. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, oh, wait, no. We'll have to talk about that in Inferno number two, because it's yeah. kind of a spoiler. All right. Next up, we've got Darkhold Alpha, which is the first book of sort of a Darkhold mini series i guess it's mini event i don't really know how to how to characterize it but yeah basically yeah we're getting it's we start with Darkhold alpha here every one of the issues in the series is technically a number one yeah because it's one of those types of event series we're getting Darkhold alpha and it's going to end later on this year or maybe early january no i think it ends in anywho it ends soon <laughs> in the next few months with Darkhold Omega. And between those two, we're, we're going to have Darkhold Iron Man, Blade, Wasp, Black Bolt, and Spider-Man, each getting their own book. Mm-hmm. Darkhold Alpha, however, is brought to us by Steve Orlando on writing, uh, Chian Tormi on art, Jesus Abertov on color, and Clayton Cowles on lettering. Uh, Darkhold Alpha is the start of a Darkhold series focused on the Darkhold Cathan and more importantly uh, Scarlet Witch who's having visions of its power because it has now been unearthed by Victorious and Doctor Doom uh, they share some interactions Scarlet Witch discussing her experience with Cathan and the powers of the Darkhold and Doctor Doom illustrating and uh, believing that he himself is superior enough to handle the powers of the Darkhold and to face Cathan himself. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't go well for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he leaves it up to Wanda and eventually the summoning of the Darkhold Defenders, who are a <laughs> team of Iron Man, Blade, Black Bolt, Wasp, and Spider-Man. She entrusts. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, yeah, no. I was just gonna say a group of people who seemingly have no magical connections whatsoever. I mean, not in any like 
you know, super overt way. Especially not Iron Man, but feels like the writer just wanted to have them in this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blade is the only one who's remotely tied to anything on the mystic side of things. Yeah. Um, his stories do touch into magic and witchcraft with the vampire stories sometimes. Like, th- they do cross over there. Wasp, Iron Man, and Spidey and Black Bolt, though, very little interaction. But based on the revealed covers and the reveal at the end of this, that there are uh, Darkhold defiled <coughs> versions of each of these heroes that will appear in this series, there's a good chance that the writer, artist, or design team may have just wanted to pick five heroes that were going to be fun to make sort of this dark version of. Pretty much. Because in calling these heroes to try and stop Cathan, they have to read the dark hold and in doing so they touch a level of darkness that no one was prepared for and we will find out over the next few issues what happened to our good heroes if it can be undone if scarlet witch can undo the darkness and prevent Cathan from destroying the world and we will we will learn more. And that's really all this issue does is it's a big setup issue. We get a lot of really good art and a lot of doom flexing uh, about how he's the best at magic and everything. And we also get, it's a good Wanda book. Like she's a fun character in it. Like she's, she's authoritative. She's smart. She knows what she's doing. It just doom won't listen to her. Yeah. And yeah, I, I dig it. It's, a good issue it looks good it feels good i'm excited <coughs> there's there's a bit of weirdness that marvel released this week that darkhold was supposed to release before the ongoing trial of magneto series it was like the, it no i and this one i actually do remember it was supposed to be released um i want to say april of 2020 so quite a while before the actual um, uh, before the trial of Magneto and the death of Scarlet Witch and all that stuff. So this is this was one of those many many books that that Marvel kind of had to put on uh, put on hiatus uh, just because the pandemic had affected a lot of the release schedules. Um, so that's why kind of the timing and and that sort of stuff of this book feels off. Where you have characters like you know Wanda and Doom who are obviously in very different places now um you know in in a completely different place uh, as a result of this so i guess if you want you can just imagine that this book was taking place during spring of last year and it should help you uh understand the timeline a little bit more but i do remember when they first like announced this one and and uh this and like dark ages and all those other books that just took a while to get out because of the pandemic um you know, they're finally here now, and uh, they do feel a little a little weird. Well, not so much Dark Ages, just because, you know, that one's an out-of-continuity story, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, and while that's a little weird, I will say that it's kind of fortuitous that the way it panned out, because with, uh, what is it, um, with the next Darkhold story coming out in a couple weeks in October, this is a really good sort of Halloween themed like it's a good october month story that's true that is true 
you know, it's and maybe it's like a little cheap to just have like, ah, gross, like Hellraiser inspired version of the heroes in October. But I'm kind of here for it. Just kind of works for me. Yeah. Um, that said, like the rest of the comic, there's nothing like uh, just outrageously great in terms of writing or story building here. It's just good. Yeah, it's just sort of solid. Yeah, so I, I gave it a, and this might even be too, uh, like, too reserved a rating, but I, I gave it a seven out of ten. Like, it's good. It's a good setup. I'm here to. I'm gonna read the rest, and probably enjoy it. But I don't have a. I don't have a lot of powerful thoughts on it. I gave it a seven point five. I did think it was fun, and I, and I did really like the coloring too. I thought it's some really gorgeous coloring. Um, in this especially some of the like larger magic scenes but um yeah it's you know it yeah it it, it is just solid in in that way like it is is perfectly solid I, this is the same writer uh, Steve Orlando who gave us the swamp or not the swamp thing the man thing um <laughs> like mini event that we had i mean it's basically swamp thing it's just less interesting but um <laughs> now all the man thing fans are going to come for me um, no, and, and that, that was, you know, kind of, kind of a similar thing. It was, you know, a very short, succinct, but enjoyable three issue man thing story involving the Marvel universe. And, um, this kind of feels like the same thing where it's just like, now we're just going to do, you know, some of the magical stuff, with the dark hold and bring in a bunch of, uh, Marvel characters that you love and see what we can do with them. And, you know, that's fine. It's perfectly fine. It's just not, you know, it's just not the greatest thing ever it's just kind of like cool um so i ended up giving this one a 7.5 i do really like the um the dark hole defiled designs of the characters especially um i mean really all of them are great but especially i think uh spider-man and blade um and iron man those designs are just really cool like iron man's almost got like this flesh covered suit um, which is horrifying, but I think definitely works for this kind of story. And, and I, thought was, I thought that aspect of it was cool, even if we're probably just going to get a bunch of schlocky tie-ins. But um, yeah, you know, just kind of solid. So 7.5. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, actually, because this might be relevant to our audience members who are considering buying this uh, in your ongoing <laughs> enjoyment of the series... This book features probably nothing that I would say pushes anything over the edge in terms of visual design. Um, It's not... um, You see the Darkhold Defiled and you see sort of this creepy Iron Man design and the rest of the Darkhold Defiled. But the uh, solicitation for Darkhold Iron Man specifically says, The comedic mind of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl will bring you the body horror tale of the century yeah um so if body horror is not your thing Darkhold alpha doesn't really feature anything i would call body horror but the series i guess will so i it might be worth mentioning that as a point before you dive into this series that look into the upcoming comics as well before deciding if this is one you're going to want to take the plunge on Mm -hmm. because i know body horror is a it's a big uh big miss for certain people in in the audience like there oh, yeah it's it's one of the things that some people are fine with and some people cannot deal with which is fine that's i just think something to be aware of yes yeah 
All right. And for our for our last book on tonight's list, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 74, the conclusion of the current era of Amazing Spider-Man. And before we go into Amazing Spider-Man 75 with a brand new story and team. This is brought to us by Nick Spencer and Christo Ga- Christos Gage on writing. Marcelo Ferreira, Mark Bagley, uh, Zay Carlos, Dio Neves, Carlos Gomez, Ivan Fiorelli, and Humberto Ramos on pencils. Uh, we've got Wayne Fauché, Marcelo Ferreira, Andrew Hennessy, Andy Owens, Zay Carlos, Dio Neves, Carlos Gomez, Ivan Fiorelli, and Victor Olazaba on inks. Andrew Crossley, Edgar Delgado, and Alex Sinclair on colors, and Joe Caramagna on lettering. Brandon, do you want to start us on uh, Spider-Man 74? Uh, Sure, but I won't be here long. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so this is the supposed to be the epic conclusion to Nick Spencer's time on the title with uh, three backup stories, one from Christos Gage and Todd Nock, one from um, Zeb Wells and... um, uh, Ivan Fiorelli, that was this guy, the guy's names. Uh, that's kind of setting up a new dynamic for, for Ben um, as he springs his girlfriend out of jail. And um, just a, a fun little story from Sean Ryan and Gustavo uh, Duarte um, summarizing spider history. Um, you might be wondering why I'm starting with the backups as opposed to the main story. And the reason for that is because I don't really want to talk about the main story. I have to. Uh, so here we go. Here's your your big summary. Um, as we learned in the previous issue, Kindred is not Harry Osborn, but actually the um, <coughs> excuse me, actually the secret clone children uh, that were believed to be the children of Norman Osborn via an affair with Gwen Stacy. Only they were not really that at all, but they were just. Uh, conceived by a Harry Osborn AI hoping to get revenge on Norman and Peter and a bunch of different people and who fucking cares and anyway um, basically uh, after Pete fights off against them and just messes around for a while and and has some assistance from Harry he is able to uh, He is able to take care of the two kindred clones uh, with the intervention of Harry, but oh no, clone Harry Osborn is dead, and also the two twins are dead, and that wraps everything up, and Norman suddenly cares, and whatever. Um, And then we (laughs) finally, you know, get to some of the other stuff with Doctor Strange that has been completely pointless and sets up a... BS who gives a shit prophecy about <laughs> Pete and MJ's kid potentially um you know usurping Mephisto and that's why he's had such a heavy role in Pete's life and that is such a load of crap like if you were really that concerned you would have stopped Pete the moment he became Spider-Man like why are you playing this long game why even let them be happy at points if you were just wanting to take it all away because you saw this prophecy makes no fucking sense but who cares it's the end of the run anyway and we get one final affirmation that pete and mj will be together despite 
how much horrible shit they've been through, yada, 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 the end. Okay, finally, we're done. Um, wow, what a waste of time. And, and this really sucks to say, because I was such a big fan of Nick Spencer's run. I mean, I remember when this started back in 2018, and it was like, oh my god, what a, what a breath of fresh air this is going to be. You know, we're done with the dour and depressing Spider-Man stories. We're going to push forward. We're going to try and tell new and inventive ones. And, you know, Nick Spencer had come off of Captain America, which was extremely controversial with the whole Secret Empire thing. And this was kind of his chance at, re- chance at redemption. And it really felt that way. And um, the first, you know, 25, I would even say the first... 40, 50 issues still, in my opinion, were really good. Um, and, and I still can look back at them and say, wow, that was really good. But in terms of the, you know, the ending, the wrap-up, it was, it was just a major dud. And it just left me saying, who cares? What was the point of any of it? You know, why even bother with this Kindred stuff? And I, I had felt that way for a while, honestly. Like, a lot of the stuff that Spencer had been doing with some of the other you know, lesser-known Spider-Man characters had been more interesting to me than the Kindred stuff. So every time it would come up, I was like, ugh, all right, whatever, let's just get this over with so we can do more interesting things. But the fact that this was just kind of a rush to the end, we just got to, like, get there and, and do what we got to do, just just so disappointing. So um, I think there are going to be aspects of Nick Spencer's run that I come back to and say, yeah, that was pretty good. And, and maybe time will tell, you know, if, if I change my tune on this um this ending uh at some point but for now it was just a massive disappointment and i, I just i'm glad to be done with it and, and i hope that the new era of spider-man at the very least tries to do new things but this honestly just did, did not help me uh, at all and I, I like i said i just i have no other word for it than disappointed i'm just disappointed that this is how Nick Spencer ended his run. So this one got a 5 out of 10 for me. It was just a massive letdown. Yeah, I gave this one a a 6 out of 10. <laughs> it it just didn't uh it, it didn't quite hit where I needed it to and the whole run it really just when trying to think of like what this run accomplished at the end of the day like it it really just undid sins of the father. Yeah. But that, like that's, that's what we got. Th- this prophecy thing. I, if they decide to make a bigger story about Mephisto having a hate death, uh, some destined hatred for Peter's daughter <clears throat> or whatever, like that could be a cool story to read. I, I don't think that it's going to go anywhere big. Maybe it will. I don't know. Maybe I'm being, yeah, I gave it a 6 out of 10. The book was fine. I, I guess the other big thing that really made me roll my eyes was <clears throat> it took them 60 pages of this 80-page tome <laughs> to wrap up Kindred. Yeah. Like, last week and the week before, I was sitting here like, man, they're like they're dropping these revelations on Kindred, and now there's two Kindreds. Like liter- and I was sitting here like, how are we gonna wrap this up in one issue before seventy five starts? Very and messily. That's how. Yeah, it was a mess. It took them sixty pages of sloppily explaining it, and some vague details were dropped about things, and then the the extra like tie in stuff on this issue were just kind of forgettable. Like one of them was a short like few pages essentially teasing the start of the Ben Riley story. Yeah. And then 
a couple of them were just like a random conversation about how cool Uncle Ben was. Like it wasn't, I don't know. It didn't do it for me. I'm, and I don't know what I read like the last 12 issues of this and a bunch of issues of Sinister War and all of that. I don't know what I read it all for at this point because it didn't make, it didn't pay off. No. And I think that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm disappointed. Like that's why I'm just, I'm incredibly disappointed because none of it, at least a lot of the kindred stuff. I mean, again, some of the other stuff in the run, I can still go back and say, yeah, I, I like that. That that did good stuff. But a lot of this, most of the kindred stuff just felt like, what was the point of it? What was the point of any of it? You know, what, why even bother? You know, if 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 this was where you wanted to end. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's. We're talking about a run that's 74 issues and it's hard to say anything that hits 74 issues isn't enjoyable, at least in part. There's yeah. definitely good parts to the to this, to Nick Spencer's whole time. But there's a lot of time spent on something that when Kindred was introduced, it was like a cool mystery. Yeah. And then it went from a cool mystery to a played out mystery. Then it went from a played out mystery to something that could never pay off how much time they've spent on it. Yes. You know, and not, you know, everything about Kindred, I, I always want to avoid talking about it, but it all feels like the Clone Saga to a lesser extent, but just adding more and more details to something rather than just wrapping it up and moving on to something else. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's, I'm excited for Amazing Spider-Man 75. I'm excited. <laughs> I pretty much have to be excited about it because I'm going to be reading it every week for the next pretty much few months so if i don't like amazing spider-man well i'm out of luck because i have to read it anyway (laughs) but i mean technically we don't have to do anything if it's terrible we can stop (laughs) yeah but i'm a fan of ben riley so i'm excited i'll see i'll see where it goes we'll have more to say on the amazing spider-man i'm sure yeah yeah i'm sure All right. Well, that's the end of our review slate. So now we'll just take a quick second to recap, you know, what were our top three, our biggest stinker and, you know, our favorite panel or moment from the from the week. Uh, Brandon, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, So at number three, I put the Darkhold Alpha. Um, You know, it was actually no, sorry. I didn't put the Darkhold Alpha. I put Thor number 17. Uh, it was solid enough, you know, I, I enjoyed it, um, could have done a lot worse, but, um, yeah, you know, it was just, it was a solid conclusion to this, this arc, I suppose, um, and, I mean, I'm at least curious to see what happens next in Thor. Uh, number two, I had Swords, really solid Storm-focused issue, and at number one, had to give it to Inferno number one, I'm just absolutely blown away by this issue, and I, and I loved it, um, but my... Favorite moment of the week has to go to uh, Mystique in Inferno. Just love that moment where she just stands up, just posturing and all, and says, the time is now. I've been, like, quoting that all week because I love it. Um, just like, the time is now. And you're like, oh, shit. Here it comes. Here comes the fire. Here comes the flames. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. My, my top three were 
it's a it's an X-Men mutant week for me. Yeah. Uh I have Sword or I have Wolverine in third, Sword in second, and Inferno in number one. It was a good week to be an X fan oh, yeah. for me. Um I really enjoyed those. Uh I feel like my least favorite is goes without question. It, it's Amazing Spider Man. Yep. No, it's that's definitely mine. It's hard to say that. And, you know, I would probably argue that Extreme Carnage isn't better than Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But I didn't spend as much time on it. And so there's that's there's a sense of disappointment that just lowers Amazing Spider-Man 74 for me. Yeah, again, it's the fact that this run had so much potential and it just went out with such a whimper that I think really just made it worse for me. Because I have all that baggage to carry with me that it's like, oh, God, it could have been so much better, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite panel, also from Inferno, but a different one, just because it's it was so striking. It was such a crazy way to start the book. Uh, with Emma Frost in Cerebro, and she says, what is it you say in times like these, Charles? Oh, that was great. To me, my X-Men. Yeah. And just, it looked amazing. It was, like you said, it was that perfect callback to House of, House of X, and it was like, mm-hmm. just, as soon as that panel, I, w- I looked at that panel, I'm like, oh, we're here. We're in. I'm here. Oh, yep. uh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> but, well, that's the show, everyone. Uh, thank you all for uh, for listening this long. And remember, if you're interested in our show or other shows like this, you can get access to all kinds of different shows where we've got a huge cast of wonderful people presenting all kinds of different topics at notarobotpodcasts.com. With that said, as always, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other. And don't be a robot. I'm not gonna